Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for a new day, for new mercy, for uh, the opportunity to come together as your people, to learn, to grow, to think, to mature in Christ, and to uh, have the blessings and privileges of being in your church. So we ask your blessings on these lessons on community, that we would learn how to live the way you've called us to live. By your grace, you have placed us among other believers where we might live and serve. And uh, we pray now as we think about that, that you would uh, expand our appreciation and love for your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I sent out in an email a preface to today's lesson, and I want to read that again just to set the table for uh, what we're talking about. This is our second lesson on community, uh, second of several, and we will, um, again, be doing this for several weeks. Uh, we just had an introduction last week. Today I want to talk about the church itself and the value of the church, and so um, uh, I wrote this just as, a, again, a preface to set the table Our communion, our church, is where God put us because He loves us. And He knows what we need. He knows, He knows that way better than we do. When we approach the community of the church on our own terms, we have, in effect, said that we think we know better than God. Like a child who thinks he knows better than his parents. Of course, being part of a community or communion includes attending church, uh, but it also involves way more than mere attendance. Like every family, this is a place of self-sacrifice and love. Uh, it has duties, responsibilities, benefits, and privileges. These things go together. You were baptized and placed into the body of Christ so that you and your marriage and your family uh, would become more and more like Christ. This requires full engagement, not nominal. That nominal means in name only. Uh, so, so full engagement, uh, not nominal, uh, full engagement and participation. You were put into this community by God to learn, to grow, and to serve. Good families and good churches are not accidents. They are the fruit of faith and obedience to God. And so we want to focus on the centrality of the church as a family, as the big family. Uh, our families, our, we as individuals and we as families are members of that body. And so this is the overarching uh, family That God has put us in. So I want to just begin by mentioning some of the blessings of being in the communion, being in a church, being in our church in this in this case. Uh, just very quickly, First uh, Peter 2, 9 and 10 tells us that we are the people of God, not the person of God. Abraham wasn't just God's person. Uh, God calls us as a people, as a group as something bigger than ourselves individually. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had, who had not obtained mercy, 
but who have now obtained mercy. So it's important that we conceive of ourselves, again, not as just me and Jesus, but as the people of God corporately and collectively. Uh, Again, benefits and blessings. Uh, By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So it's here that we both give and receive love. It's here that we sacrifice for one another, and it's here that others sacrifice for us. We weep with one another, we rejoice with one another, and we'll see that there's other things, of course, that we do with one another. We sing, we pray, uh, we learn, uh, we do all kinds of things. We do the dishes, uh, we eat, we do many things. Hierarchy is important. Hierarchy is an inescapable concept. You put two people together, or ten people together, or a hundred people together, uh, there's going to be a certain order. People do different things. And so the Bible tells us in Hebrews 13, 17 through 18, regarding the church, Obey those who rule over you. Be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, because that would be unprofitable for you. So it is what it is profitable for you to be under the care of shepherds, under the care of the elders, and uh, to have teachers to have leaders, to, to have that is a good good thing and a benefit for you. Uh, doctrine and discipline, 1 Timothy 3.15, I write so that you, uh, Paul says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. There's an assumption that you are in the house of God, not, not at home, not out there on your own, but you're in the house of God, which is the church, Uh, Church of the Living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. It's a pretty important place to be. So I'm not out there just studying on my own, trying to figure it out. There's an old idea that somehow if you could take a a new convert and put him on a desert island by himself with a Bible, that that would be the fastest way to come to the truth. And uh, the best way, the most pure way. And that's a false notion. It's uh, the old noble savage notion that... Uh, somehow you'd have an innocent person in the Bible and they, they would be able to come to the truth. It's all this other stuff that's corrupted it. But the Bible tells us we need teachers, that there are many things in the Bible that are hard to understand, that, that it's not safe to do it on our own. We need other people uh, to challenge us, to guard us, to instruct us, uh, and so forth. Worship. Next week we will fo- uh, next next lesson we will focus on worship itself and expand on this. But Psalm 111:1, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. So yes, there is a, an aspect of worship that is private and personal, but there is also a corporate worship that is essential. God calls us together to do this. There is provision or, and also a division of labor and food, for example. 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 12, 10 through 12. Now may he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that, seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you're enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings. And we'll say more about this, but there's so much in the way of provision that goes on in a family, right? There's instruction, there's food, there's labor, uh, there's, there's words of exhortation, there's even discipline, right? 
All of those things take place in a family to make family a safe place where we're provided for, uh, which leads to another one, security and protection. Ecclesiastes 4.12 uh, through one may be, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. Safety in numbers. Uh, we're sheep. We need to stick together. Uh, that's why we need shepherds, but there are wolves out there, and we need the protection that the church provides. Service. I'm going to give a quote here from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He said, The Christian, however, must bear the burdens of a brother. He must suffer and endure the brother. That means we have to put up with each other. It is only when he is a burden that another person is really a brother and not merely an object to be manipulated. The burden of men was so heavy for God himself that he had to endure the cross. God verily bore the burden of men in the body of Jesus Christ, but he bore them as a mother carries her child, as a shepherd enfolds the lost lamb, and uh, that has been found. God took men upon himself, and they weighted him to the ground. But God remained with them, and they with God. In bearing with men, God maintained fellowship with them. It was the law of Christ that was fulfilled in the cross, and Christians must share in that law. So we're part of Christ. And so as he, Christ bears our burdens... So we too bear one another's burdens as brothers and sisters in Christ. One other Bonhoeffer quote here on the subject of prayer, another benefit of being with one another. And we're not talking about superficial prayer here, but as we get to know each other and we bear one another's burdens and rejoice with one another over our blessings, prayer is, is really a, a tremendous blessing. He says, A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face, that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me, is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. Fruitfulness. Ephesians 4.16, the whole body being joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So again, there's an absolute uh, overwhelming, uh, I think it's explicit, but certainly a strong implication that we're together that we are not out doing our own thing separately and just happen to cross paths here and there, but that we are committed to one another. These particular people are our people, and we're here to uh, work together and do what God says to do. And one last thing here before we uh, look at some more details, evangelism. This is from here is the hub, how we reach out to others. Francis Schaeffer said, Our relationship with each other is the criterion... Uh, the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic, or defense of the faith. How we live with one another, what we show the world, and so how we love one another. Of course, Jesus said that's how they'll know we're his disciples. So let's talk about the redemptive community, the church, 
So Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says, For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin of Christ. That's how he's writing to the church. And Ephesians 5, he says, uh, that he might present her to himself, speaking of the church and Jesus, uh, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish, set apart and without blemish, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Again, this is the image of Christ and the church, the bride and the groom, becoming one flesh. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So um, the, the, mar- the, the image of Christ as the bride and the church as the, I mean, the Christ as the groom and the church as the bride is the, is the real thing. And our marriages are simply reflections of that, or should be reflections of that. But our, our marriages are the metaphor. Christ and the church is the eternal wedding, right? The, we're going to have the marriage feast of the Lamb for eternity uh, because that's the real thing. That's the substantial thing. Uh, in the book of Revelation, it gives us this glorious description of that eternal fee, marriage feast in Revelation 19. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, the church, has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints, acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So he is already our groom, we are already his bride. And so it's important, again, to realize that our marriages are the metaphor of the ultimate marriage of Christ and the church, not the other way around. We have another example of this in Hebrews 9, uh, 23 and 24. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but that the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true. No, he's talking about the tabernacle. The tabernacle on earth was a copy of what Moses saw that was in heaven. That's the real one. Now, the tabernacle was to reflect that. Likewise, our marriages reflect the marriage of Christ and the church. And so, uh, just as the earthly temple was the analog for the true temple in the New Jerusalem, uh, Revelation 21:22, but I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, speaking of the new heavens and the new earth. So again, the church, uh, we have a couple of metaphors or pictures here. The church is the bride of Christ. It is the body of Christ. And this is something I think is misunderstood. It is the primary community, the primary family. To many Christians simply, uh, too, too many Christians simply attend church but failed to see that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's who he died for. This means his love for us is in the context of us being part of the body. So I've mentioned this before. The sanctuaries are traditionally built to represent the belly of a ship, like Noah's Ark, which is the place of salvation. This is where God meets his people. This is where he speaks to his people. 
this is where we are his people collectively. And as we sit here individually, of course, because we're in the ship, we're in Christ, that's, that's our salvation. Now, I'm not saying that the church as an institution is what saves us. Christ saves us. But when he saves us, it's, it's in his church. The church is his body. The, the church is what he is Lord over. So this is where he put us because this is where God says that we will be built up and sanctified. And so like your nuclear family, this place is imperfect. But this is where Christ himself is at work through the, through the Spirit and the Word to make us holy. This cannot be done apart from the church. Cannot be done apart from the church. Now, look, if you're on vacation uh, and you got your Bible and it's just a few of you, certainly, but you're still part of the church. You didn't stop being part of the church because you had some providential reason you couldn't be here. You were sick. You were out of town. You were in, at war. You were, you know, certain things that, but we never stopped being part of the church at that point. But to the degree we can be physically present with God's people, this is really critical. So I'm going to read a longer passage out of Ephesians 4, which I think addresses this in many dimensions. And that's from uh, verses 1 through 16. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. Uh, so again, he's writing to the church. So he's writing to us. Uh, writing to, uh, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Again, there's an assumption that I'm, I'm next to other people. Um, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one, particular, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high and led capti- he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And now, here's the classic passage about what God's doing in the church and why the church is so critical to your uh, well-being. And he, that is Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You have... So we have the apostles and the prophets in the Bible. And then we have pastors, teachers, and evangelists for what purpose? All of those together are to equip you, to to feed you, to mature you, to enable you to do ministry. Or the word can be translated service. He equipped you to serve. For the edifying of the body of Christ, the building up of the body, until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, and that word could be translated mature, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God's, what he's saying is Jesus gave the church the Bible and its ministers to equip you so that you'll grow up and be like Christ 
And to the degree that you do that, uh, then we're going to see these other things happen, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So that's what happens if you're out there by yourself and you're just a child and you don't know, uh, you're going to get beat up. You're going to get told things you don't know and you don't understand and, and you're vulnerable. But the church is the place where if the church is doing its job, you're, you're guarded in that sense. But speak the truth, see, um, but speaking the truth in love, you may grow up in all things into him who is the head. Head of what? The church. Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, that would be you, you supply something to the body of Christ. According to the effective working by which every part, again, that's you, does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying or building up of itself in love. So to the degree that each of you are in pursuit of godliness and maturity in Christ, it helps everybody else. So your maturity affects the person next to you and everybody else here. Your immaturity does the same thing. Now, the Bible talks about us being called out. Uh, and I wrote down, to come, to come out, to come together is to assemble, is to be in common, to, com- to commute, uh, and to commune. <coughs> and, <coughs> excuse me, and to commune. And I'm not sure if all those words have a common etymology but for my purposes, they are, they are helpful in illustrating the notion of community, a common unity. Um, people who have gathered together with a mutual purpose and bound together by a unified goal. Jesus calls us out of the world to himself to become members of his body, to be members of his community or communion, members of one another, and so the church is the community of saints who have entered into covenant with Christ and with his people. The word church in the New Testament is translated from the Greek word ekklesia, which comes from two words, ek, which means out, out, and uh, kaleo, meaning to call, to call out. And so an ekklesia is a calling out, not just, uh, it was not just an assembly, but the word ekklesia was a political term, uh, not necessarily a religious term. So Jesus was the king, and the Bible used the term ekklesia for a good reason. Uh, In classical Greek, ekklesia meant an assembly of citizens summoned by the crier uh, and the, uh, by the, by the crier, the legislative assembly. So the, the, the lawmaker, the king, is calling his citizens out and calling them together. So that's the image we have of the church. Now, the word church encompasses a great deal. The church is an organism, a body, and an organization. It has hierarchy. We go to church, and we are the church. We sit in the church. We don't run in the church, kids. And yet, the church is invisible. The church is one. The church is many. It has a history. It has a future. 
It is both universal and local. The church is a body, a bride, a flock, an olive tree, a household, a temple. We join churches. We leave churches. The church is militant, that is active, and it is eschatological. It is future. And there's much more that we could say about the church. God has placed us in his church uh, at the center and the summit of the world. I'm going to say that again. He has placed us in his church, which is the center and the summit of the world. The church is comprised of the people of God called out of the world into union with the crucified and risen Savior. As God's people, as his new humanity, we are an outpost of heaven on earth. That's what each local church is. We are marked out by baptism in the triune name, and we gather around his table to feast, and we declare our common faith in Jesus Christ, who is now seated at the Father's right hand in heaven as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, there's so much packed into that statement uh, that if we stopped and parsed all that out and thought about the implications of it, we'd see that it's comprehensive. The Lord Jesus rules over all things for the sake of the church, Ephesians 1, uh, 22 and 23, which in turn exist for the sake of the world. Um, Calvin writes, Because it is now our intention to discuss the visible church, that would be the local church, let us learn from this simple title, Mother, how useful, indeed how necessary it is that we should know her. Uh, For there is no other way to enter into life unless this mother conceive us in her womb, give us birth, nourish us at her breast, and lastly, unless she keep us under her care and guidance until... Uh, until, putting off mortal flesh, we become like the angels. Our weakness does not allow us to be dismissed from her school until we have been pupils all of our lives. So that's why we come back every week, and we do it again, and again, and again, and again, to get it in our bones. It's who we are, not just what we do. And so... We have formally vowed before God and one another to be united to the church of Jesus Christ. We have said, I do. In obedience to the word of God, using ourselves with, uh, uniting ourselves with this body of believers in submission to the elders and to one another for the service of those who are of the household of faith and for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ. Now, many have devalued the church. It has... Uh, It's devalued by corruption within, involving both leadership and laity. We hear it in the news all the time. It is devalued by a lack of understanding of her importance and the place in the world and in the life of God's people. It has been trivialized. It has been uh, by shallowness and silliness. It has been compromised by seeking the approval of the world. And uh, indeed, it is thought of as optional by many individual Christians who can take it or leave it since they don't feel any real sense of obligation to the local church. But the Bible teaches that the church is the center of the world, the nursery of Christ's kingdom. It is the most important institution on earth because it is the people of God. The pillar is the pillar and the ground of the truth. 
with the church and through the church, societies live and die, they rise and fall. Now, I wrote a book with Rich Lusk a few years ago called The Church-Friendly Family, and so I'm going to draw some things from that. We don't want um, family-unfriendly churches, um, but there's a it kind of became a popular idea of the church, uh, of the family-friendly church, and we did a little play on that and switched it and said, well, really what we need is church-friendly families. Um, Certainly, there is a genuine need for churches to be concerned with ministering to the needs of families. However, terminology can and often does point us in the wrong direction. It's really a matter of priorities. And so taken by itself, such terminology can be dangerous because of what it presents as only part of the truth. So this perspective can push people, this idea of the the uh, family-friendly church. So what can we do to get you to come? What can we do for you? What can we... How can, you know, how can we make you happy? What kind of music do you want? What kind of, what kind of this, that, or the other do you want? Uh, do we need clowns? Do we need puppets? Do we need, and I'm not saying any, necessarily any particular thing is always wrong or sinful, but if that's the idea that we're going to try to entertain you, uh, to get you, uh, get people to come, uh, that's gonna create some, and it has created really big problems. So, um, so the church's purpose then becomes that of assisting families, uh, and soon the family is viewed as the primary institution of the world, the nuclear family. I'm suggesting that we need to do uh, that. We do need a focus on the family, but the family that needs our focus is the family we call the church. With, uh, with a proper view of the place of the church, then we will develop. I believe what will happen is we then develop better and stronger views of our individual families. Remember, our call to follow Christ involves self-denial, even a denial of family relationships, of, of, of nuclear family relationships. Jesus said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's, that's one of those hard sayings of Jesus. He draws the line in the dirt. So if you have a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife that abandon the faith, it's not that you stop loving them. In fact, you do love them. But but you're not going to sacrifice the church, the body of Christ, for them. In fact, your children should know that all the days of their life. We are Christians. We follow Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. If you abandon him... I am not. I will stand with him. Again, that doesn't mean we don't, that we would stop loving that child or that person, caring for them or seeking to bring them back, but that's what we'd be doing. We wouldn't be mad at the church or mad at somebody else because they abandon the church or abandon Christ. Once Christ has become central, then we get to return to ourselves, to our families, and our other things with a proper perspective because now we serve him serving them. I love my wife the way I'm supposed to. I raise my children and love them the way I'm supposed to. I even love myself now the way I'm supposed to. I do what's good for me, not what I just feel like doing. So Mother Church feeds and nourishes us while we gather around the Father's table, and from there, then we are sent out to serve. 
In our individual families, we serve the larger primary family. We're sent out to serve the body of Christ and the world, and we come back on the first day of the week to gather around the family table. And the Apostle Paul speaks of this ecclesiastical unity with these words from Ephesians 2, 19-22. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, that's the Bible, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So the church then is the primary institution of society. If the church is the household, the family, the kingdom of God, then we must see that the individual families serve the church. The problem we have been facing in recent years is that we don't really view the church as the primary family from which every other family draws its name. Uh, The church is not an institution ordained to assist the family so that it does the work of the kingdom. Uh, That is, that the the individual families does the work of the kingdom. It's the other way around. The family is an institution that is utterly dependent upon the church in order to be equipped and guided uh, so that it can be a blessing to the world rather than a curse, because there's a lot of families that are actually a curse to the world, which apart from the church, every family would be. The same is true for the state. The church holds the, pro- the place of primacy always. If it is the body of Christ, then there would be no other place for it. Colossians deals with uh, the, the primacy of Christ over everything. So, this series is about living in communion with him and with others. So, the fall wrecked the community of man. The church, however, is the place where we are restored and then sent out to live. Every person, every family has its trials and pains. Uh, We sometimes think our own difficulties are uh, unparalleled, but this kind of thinking would only indicate how little we get out and how shallow our knowledge of other people and families are. Sometimes we sit here and think, I'm the only one going through this or has this kind of problem or whatever. Look, we are a a community of broken people with all kinds of problems. And and those problems change, right? You have different problems this week than you had last month or last year, and you'll have different, we'll all have different problems ahead of us, different, different challenges. So God calls us to live, and he calls us to live in the context of the community of his people. To the degree that we forsake that assembly with our bodies or our hearts, our suffering will increase. You want to make it harder on yourself? Then forsake the body. Go go do it on your own. Uh, It is in the covenant community where we are honed and polished, iron sharpens iron, So one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We learn to serve. We learn to be long-suffering. We learn to forgive. We learn to love. We learn how to deny ourselves. And we even learn how to be blessed by other people and just say thank you. So we learn how to be thankful. In Acts 2, everyday believers met together in the temple courts. They broke bread in each other's homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. 
Hebrews 3.13 suggests that many years later, Christians were still meeting daily. And, and so for this to become part of our daily living, we have to develop what, I'm gonna, what, what others have called a covenant consciousness, an awareness that I'm part of something bigger than me. This is a way of thinking that begins with the congregation rather than the individual. That is, thinking in terms of we instead of me. I always say, right before you join the church, you get to ask questions like, why do you all do this or that? And the minute after you join, you can say, why do we do this or that? You may still might not know why we're doing it, but now it's we. Okay, Why do we do what we do in the worship service? Why do we do whatever? Uh, it is in the context of the covenant community that we find rest, we find restoration, and the way we develop the covenant community mindset begins by believing and obeying our Heavenly Father. We must resist the temptation to withdraw and instead do our duty. Sometimes what happens, the Bible talks about not growing weary and well-doing. I remember when we used to be really committed at church. We used to go all the time and do everything. Now we've grown weary. And the Bible says, don't do that. Don't grow weary and well-doing. In due time, you'll reap if you faint not. That's that's the call. And again, you know that in your own families. You have days, weeks, months where you're like, I just don't know if I can keep doing this. This is such hard work. But you keep doing it, and when you do, there is blessing. Um, And so um, our duty is to trust and obey even when we don't feel like it. Uh, And that's where Adam and Eve went wrong. We all have taken public vows before God and his people to be uh, committed participants in the covenant community we call the church, in this case, Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. Uh, Church is not a spectator sport. Uh, This is not uh, not a concert. It's not not a play. It is a family. And so you're here to serve. The question of how often you decide to go to church should be decided how often? Once. You've heard this before. Okay? Not not every Saturday night, not every Sunday morning. Obviously, uh, you've heard me say, I invoke my mother's rule. If you have a fever or you're throwing up, you can stay home from school and you can stay home from church. But other than that, you get up and go, just like you get up and go to work. You do You do your duty. I don't feel like it. Yeah, well, you don't have to feel like it. You just have to do it. Okay? I promise you, if you do it, then you'll feel like it. You'll be glad you did. Um, so do the right thing, and the feelings will come. Don't wait to feel like it. Just do what you're supposed to do. And then it's what, what I, I God told Cain when he was threatened, thinking about killing his brother. He said, I see your countenance has fallen. You're depressed. I know what you're up to. If you'll do right, your countenance will be lifted up. Just do the right thing, and you'll get a smile on your face. You'll feel better for having done so. So there's nothing you do every week that is more important than participating in corporate worship. Here are a few important points for us to remember if we're to comprehend and implement life in the Christian community so that we and our families will know the blessing, blessings of God for many generations. And I'll, I'll give these uh, six things and we'll stop here for this morning. The Lord's Day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, separate. This day distinguishes the covenant of people, the covenant people of God from the world. Where are they right now? 
worship, worship, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, Hebrews 10.25. The corporate worship of the one true God is central to the covenant community. It's, you've heard me say it a million times, and you'll, if I stick around, you'll hear it a million more. We come here to do what? To remember who he is and what he's done and who we are and why we're here. And we do it on the first day of the week, not the, not the weekend. This is the first day of the week. So that when we leave here, we have that in our heads and our hearts to go live accordingly. And we'll come back next week because we are forgetful and we need more training and we need to learn it more and more and more. Fellowship. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. If we're not in the homes of other church members and other church members are not in our homes, then we cannot possibly know one another the way we should. It becomes superficial. Time management. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So we can't manage time, but we can manage ourselves. We can become so busy with work and other activities that we begin to neglect our families and our covenant community. Then our orientation is not covenantal, and we become misdirected. Maintaining covenant priorities requires constant vigilance. I always say, if you ever think you've got your life balanced, you know, Christian life balanced, you're on a tightrope, enjoy it. It lasts about three seconds. And then something throws you off. And you've got to always be reevaluating and assessing and, oh, hey, we're doing too much of this and not enough of that. We need, we need to make some adjustments. Communication. Our identity as a call people is strengthened by our common interest. We are called to pray for one another and teach and admonish one another. So we need to commune, commune in that way, communicate with one another. And then geography, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. And so some obviously daily interaction can happen at your house with your family, but then to the degree you're with other Christians, particularly you know, other church members, but other Christians in our community. Daily interaction among our fellow Christians provides abundant opportunities for us to love one another. Remember, do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. And so that becomes how we expand and build and grow this community. Think at your house if everybody this week acted Christ-like. It'd be a pretty neat place to be, wouldn't it? And how how do you think you would do spiritually if everybody else at your house was Christ-like? How about if they're not? How do you do? So why don't you get that going? Why don't you put forth the effort to be more Christ-like, to get the 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 system moving in the right direction with kindness and grace and let me help you with that and um, let's sit down and talk and uh, would you pray with me uh, how can I pray for you um, kind words a gracious talk talk meals together there's all kinds of things you can do to to change the atmosphere and the uh, culture of your home to reflect Christ. And then guess what? If you do that at your house and then you come here on Sunday, you'll bring that with you. And that'll help this family do the same thing. Father, we thank you again for your word and your instruction about your church. We thank you that you are so wise and you love us so much that you put us in the community of your people. Uh, Help us not to um, ever assume that we know better than you do. 
but that we would embrace that with all of its difficulties and challenges, but we would embrace it with rejoicing and with thanksgiving. Bless us now as we come to worship together. In Jesus' name, amen.